Anybody ever been invited to a dinner? Just to show up to that dinner and realize, oh, this isn't a dinner. This is a trap. Um, when uh, I met Jennifer's parents for the first time, uh, because where we dated, uh, we were not living in the same place. Uh, we traveled from Kentucky to Virginia to meet her family, and I had already decided that I was going to ask her father for her hand in marriage the very first time that I met him. And uh, he knew it was coming. And so, like a cat toying with a mouse, he had traps set up for me. And uh, I, I walked into uh, their house, and I remember eating dinner with them for the first time, and uh, the first couple of times, and realizing, like, this is a lot of fun for them, and this is miserable for me. Um, I, I remember her uncles. Uh, the very first time I ever sat with her uncles, and her, I'll be honest, her uncles were big and scary to me. <laughs> They're the kind of guys that, like, Oh, they know where to bury the bodies, you know. <laughs> it was like, all right, and this was a, this was a trap. Um, guys that, uh, that, that maybe have a, a, a significant other, a woman that you think I'm going to ask to marry her the first time you go to meet her parents, listen, it is important, all right? It's important. you got to nail it. You want to talk later, I'll give you some advice. I've, lived, I've got scars to talk about it. But today as we, we look at this text... Jesus was invited to a dinner, and that dinner was a trap. Um, and, and matter of fact, over and over and over, we see Jesus navigate the Pharisees and the traps that they have put before him. And so here it is a trap as he's invited to this dinner. Here's the big truth that I want us to walk away with. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Friends, I want you to tell you something. You may be invited to a dinner in this life, and it may be a trap. But the dinner in the next life is not going to be a trap, friends. It is going to be magnificent. And those who get invited to it are blessed. We're going to be starting in Luke chapter 14, verse 1, continuing in uh, the Gospel of, of Luke. Normally, I like to read um, the whole passage that we're going to, to, to be in on the Sunday and then go back and break it down chunk by chunk. But today, uh, because of its length, it's a little longer, I'm going to break it up into four sections and we're going to take it apart that way. So, starting in verse 1, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. And so here's my first big idea. Jesus was compassionate and modeled for us how to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus walks into this dinner that is set up as a trap. And, 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 you know, if you just read these verses in context, you may say, 
Okay, right here in this immediate context, how do you get that this is a trap? But when you read before and you read after it, it wasn't just like this was the only trap. This was trap after trap after trap. And the Pharisees, the, the, the scribes, the lawyers, they were keeping tabs on Jesus. They were, they were with him. He has aggravated them at this point. He's called them to repentance. Repent, else you perish. He, he's walked through. He's confronted them. And so as he walks into this dinner that's a trap, what he does, the Luke, Luke shows us, is that he just walks in and sets it off. Um, his, in, in, in this case, the best defense was a good offense, and he just came offensively and sets, sets it off and says, here's this man with dropsy who's here. Uh, some scholars wonder if, if maybe the man with dropsy was invited to see if Jesus would heal him. There's no way of knowing that. Um, but this is what Jesus does. Dropsy, uh, today we would call it edema. It's uh, the retaining of fluid. Often it happens in uh, your extremities and your limbs. It could be your feet or your ankles. In modern times, there's like things like medicines and our diet and stuff that, that cause it. Typically, we get way ahead of it. But in ancient times, um, it usually indicated something was wrong with the heart, the liver, the kidneys, malnutrition, something like that. So serious issues. And so it wasn't just like, oh, he's got a, a swollen limb. It's that he's got something much deeper inside of him that is, is wrong with him. And so here he is in front of Jesus, and Jesus looks at them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. They, did, they didn't have an answer. So he, took, he pulls them aside and he heals them. He knows that this is going to set them off. Uh, the Pharisees had a firm belief and a firm that, uh, belief in, in Sabbath day rest and that you did not do anything on the Sabbath that was not necessary. And so, you know, there's just tons of minutia, tons of legalism that they had around the Sabbath day rules. And, and this was very much, this was something that was celebrated every week. You know, this, this dinner is a Sabbath dinner. This thing was very well prepared. It was thought out. It was put together before. I mean, this is, this is serious to them. This, this for them, uh, there's as much thought that goes into every week in a Sabbath day dinner as we have ritual around things like Thanksgiving. I mean, it, it was, it was a normally a big deal. And so, if this man could be healed the next day, why heal him on that day? And Jesus sees this man in, in, in suffering, and compassionately loving, he, he shows us what it's like to love our neighbor as herself, to see our neighbor in their dignity, value, and worth, and to see them in their suffering, and he ministers to them in that moment. He, he heals them. He you know, this would have been a miraculous thing. This wasn't, this wasn't a, a thing to where, you know, this is a little thing. This is a big thing. This man had major issues, and he's, he heals them. Listen to Jesus' kind of strategy here. He says to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that's fallen into well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And so he personalizes it. And we have to ask that question. Like, what makes our hearts compassionate as Christians is, is, is when we look at others, as the Bible says, and we think of them as ourselves. 
And we can remove that a step, and if we think them as our own. You know, when it comes to my boys, I will go to great lengths to love them, to care for them, to show them compassion. They're probably thinking like, yeah, Dad, compassion, yeah, right. You're like, get up, it don't hurt, rub, it, rub some dirt on it, it'll be all right. But no, if, if it's serious, like, I, what, what would I do to make sure that my sons are able to be healthy, to be healed of something's, something's wrong? Well, we, we think we called to love our neighbors. We're called to have that kind of compassion when we personalize it. We, it shows us, like, oh, these, this person is important in the image of God. This is an important person. And then he personalizes it, and after that, he says, listen, if your ox was in trouble, if one of your animals was in trouble, now, for us, we might use dogs, right? Because we will go to great lengths for our dogs, won't we? I tried to buy somebody in our church's dog this week. Uh, it was a joke. I wouldn't really buy it. But she was like, <gasps> you know, like we love our animals, right? And so it's showing like if you'll do this for this, uh, your ox, if you do this thing for your dog, how much more should we do for this person that's created in the image of God? In doing this, he's holding up a mirror to the Pharisee and showing them your heart. Your heart is set on the wrong things. Look in the mirror. Do you love the neighbor as you love the person that you're looking at in the mirror? And the answer to that was no. No, you don't. And so then, as he's on the offense, here he goes in verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher." Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's my next big idea. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now you guys know that in my big truths and my big ideas, I like to use scripture. By the way, I slid the, the big truth. That was Revelation. Uh, this one, James chapter 4 Verse six. This is this is scripture. I figure I can't. I figure if I want them to be big, big and true, um, scripture is a good way to go. And so God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, imagine that first time that I walked in and met Jennifer's family and to have dinner with them. And uh, in 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 America, our custom typically is that our tables are elongated. And at the head of the table is with the patriarch of the family typically sits, right? And so imagine if I walk in and, uh, you know, it's like I'm pretending I'm in jail. I'm like, I've got to prove my dominance quick. And I walk in and I sit down at the head of the table. How well would that go over? Like, I'm just going to go take, I, I'm guessing, like I walk in, I wait, and I'm like, yeah, that's his spot. I'm going to go get his spot. That wouldn't go over well, would it? Um, no, actually, this is what you have to do. Young guys, listen to me. 
You have to go in because, listen, you don't want to eat first. You don't want to seem like you're selfish, right? You want her to get her food. You want to get her a seat at the table, and then you've got to figure out which seat to sit, seat to sit beside her, and you're going to displace somebody in the family, so you've got to figure out who you want to make mad, all right? It's like, and you just got to read personalities because sometimes making a sister mad can be bad, right? Making a brother bad, that can be bad. You just got to figure it all out, all right? You got to figure out who, who you got favor with. Listen, if you wait too long, you're going to end up at the kids' table. And being at the kids' table is embarrassing, right? There's like, you, this isn't going well either. So there's a lot of thought into this, all right? This is bigger than you think. And so imagine if you walk in and you sit at the head of the table. Here was the custom in the day. Uh, maybe you've seen this before, but um, you, you've seen like a pic- picture of the Last Supper or whatever. But there, was a, there would be a table, and there would be these three benches around the table. And they would lay on them, and they would recline. And it was really, really kind of weird but they had a custom of, okay, that spot is the one spot, that's the two spot, that's the three spot, all the way up to nine. There were like nine places there where they would get, lots of people would eat the meal, but they would be away and behind the table. This is for uh, the people of importance. And so, so it matters. So he's saying, you, you don't do this. This is where you ought to sit. You ought to sit in the lowly spot then you're invited up into the most important spot. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Practically speaking, uh, this is really good advice. Right here, just like within, this is like really good advice. I want you to understand something, though. He's doing far more than speaking practically here. He's speaking spiritually. Practically, Proverbs chapter 25, 6, and 7 lays out a similar principle. Uh, he, he was probably teaching this principle. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it's better to be told, come up here, than to be lower in the presence of a noble. You know, practically, we see about humility. Humility isn't trying to... to promote yourself and to sell yourself. It's, it's not trying to advance yourself, to make yourself greater than you are. Humility isn't thinking lowly of yourself. Humility isn't going, man, I'm just the worst. I don't deserve to be at the table. I, I don't even deserve to be in the room. I'm just, I'm a wretch. I'm horrible. I'm this. I'm that. Both of those things are pride. But what we see, and it's been classically taught about humility, is that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. So practically speaking, I want you to understand, like where you sit at the table, how, whether you go first at mealtime, when you go get in the car, shotgun, when two, when two brothers are yelling shotgun and they're always fighting over it, hypothetically speaking, what does it say about their hearts, right? Does it think, oh, I want you to have the better? Or is it like, no, we're going to fight over things that don't matter. Oh, I'm going to get a fight on the front row. <laughs> Whatever, my boys, they don't even do that. They really don't. There's never a sh- they never say shotgun, and, and, and they, they have their place. You guys do well. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm not just kidding about them doing well. They really do well. I'm just kidding about the other stuff. I remember in college, um, I, I went to college, I went to Bible college being the kid that always yelled shotgun and wanted the, the front seat. 
Um, I remember this guy named Chris Bumbleow. Chris Bumbleow, it's a fun dude, a big dude, tall, not like not like big, big, but bigger, bigger than me. And anytime we would go somewhere, he would offer to get in the back seat, like the very back, right? Anytime, anytime we would get done eating, he was taking your trash. Anytime we would go somewhere, it was like we'd be walking into Burger King, and it was like. He was making you, like, you're, you're really the king here. Like, you're really going to get a royal dinner. He didn't even work there, you know? I don't think he'd ever worked fast food. It ju- was just his kind of disposition was, I'm going to serve whoever's around me. And you didn't ever think of Chris. Like, he's just, he's just, trying, to, he's just trying to make himself righteous before. So he just, like, loved everybody. He just thought about everybody. His eyes were truly on everybody else and not on himself. And I, I, I was inspired, inspired by Chris. I was like, man, I, I want to be like that. I don't want to be, be prideful. I, I want to be humble before the Lord, which means I love my neighbor as ourself. And I think there's this reality that what we do physically, what we do in circumstances like that, really does show where we are spiritually. And, and in this text, you've got to remember... He, is, he has been going at the Pharisees' self-righteousness. This idea that their works saved themselves. That the, their, their, their doing is where that they were getting their uh, place in the kingdom of God. It was as if they were working for that seat at the table. That they were tripping over one another to make themselves the most important. And so Jesus has been constantly just chopping away at their self-righteousness. And here he's doing it again. And he's saying, listen, spiritually, you guys are putting yourself at this place at the table. And this is not how you come into the kingdom of God. This this is not how you do it. The way that you come into the kingdom of God is in humility. It's in humility that we cry out and say, Jesus is Lord. Right? Because if you're you're not crying out and saying, Jesus is Lord, who are you saying is Lord? Yourself. In your pride, in your arrogance, you're saying, no, in my self-righteousness, in my goodness, in whatever ability it is that I have, I'm good enough to save me. And so here, he's chopping away at it. And this is what we have to know as we come into the kingdom. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We don't want to be in opposition to God. We don't want to be at odds with God. Rather, we want to be in humility. We want to, we want to come before God saying, Lord, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I am lowly. You are great. I am not Lord, I am not my own God. I do not know. You do. God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. What you say is good and true, and I want to submit my life to that. That's how we come in to the kingdom of God. Here, he continues. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest also they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you 
For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so here's my next big idea. You're not living for this life, but for the next. He, he says to them, he's just, like, he's, just he, he's again, schooling them. He's on the offense and he's showing them. When you're, when you're doing things, are you, you doing these things to, to, to earn and to gain favor? Are you doing these things because you love me and you love your neighbor as yourself? Are you doing these because these very things that as a Pharisee you say you do. You say you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And that you love your neighbor as yourself. Are you really doing these things? Are you playing the, some sort of social game in order to gain prestige? Now, again... Practically speaking, I think this, this hits us on a very practical level. I think in our lives, we very much can scratch those people's backs who can scratch our backs. And, and socially, it is the way that it works. And here he's saying, there is no eternal reward here. Listen, there's a decent chance there's not even an earthly reward. There's a decent chance that you do that, that you play the social game and you think you're scratching somebody else's back and you know what you're going to get in yours? A knife, right? That, that's how playing the game goes. He's saying this is, this is really ought not how it should be, but, but rather, and he's not saying, listen, you don't see in Scripture that there's anything wrong with inviting your friends, your brothers, your relatives, in to dine and to feast with you. Absolutely not. But what he's, what he's saying is that we have to reach outside to the poor, to the blind, to the crippled, to those who cannot repay you. Love, when we love somebody, it is unconditional. And so when we show somebody love, when we reach into other people's lives... We do so because we love them and who love who God created them to be. I want to give you an example of somebody who I thought always, always does a really good job of that. And that's the Sampsons. Um, Buddy and, and Brooke Sampson, uh, for those of you who are new around here, they're a, a part of our church plant. They moved out here to help us plant. And now they're in Durango, uh, Colorado, planting Overland Durango. And so... Um, I, mean, I talked to Buddy late last night. Talked to him several times this week. They're doing really well. God's blessing them. But I'll tell you, um, on occasion, a few occasions in, in our time here, it, we didn't necessarily like eat together a ton. Uh, but they would invite us over for something. And there was just always other people in the room. There was always somebody that Buddy had met by the highways or the byways and that he had pulled in. And, and half the time you're like... That, that person's pretty sketchy, right? That, 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 that person, like, I mean, I remember one, I remember that Easter he brings this, um, one Easter he brings this guy to church who wanted to be baptized uh, on an LSD trip. I mean, that was his request. I, I want to be baptized, but can I be baptized on an LSD trip? And Buddy had that guy at his house. Uh, he came to Easter dinner. Uh, he was out in the yard throwing the football with the kids. I mean, he was really good about inviting people into um, his life. That's just how we ought to be. We ought to be people who 
who love so well that we look outside of our little friend group, our little family group, and we see the least of these. We see the lowly. We see others. We see, you know, those who, especially during holiday times and stuff like that, when it's like, oh, this person doesn't have a family. This person doesn't have family here. This person is estranged. This person's in a bad spot of inviting those people into our lives, into our homes. And so I think that's a practical uh, piece, but, but here's the spiritual piece. You don't invite people in who can repay you. You invite people who you cannot repay you for. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. If there is no afterlife, if there is no life after death, if Jesus is still in the grave, if he did not uh, bodily raise from the dead, then you might as well throw those dinners and those banquets at people who can, who can help you. you. You might as well rub elbows and do whatever you can to gain your worldly clout. But I believe that Jesus did raise from the dead. I believe that he is walking. And I believe that the word is true. And that they're like me, like millions and millions of others that have gone before us. That there is life after death. There is eternal life. That when we die, this is not just it. That the God of the universe created us that way. And we can be reconciled unto God through his son Jesus. We can experience eternal life. And that the life that we live in this life has an impact on the next. And the momentary struggle, the momentary uh, hardship or displeasure or suffering, or in this case, just the, the, the moments of having to, to invite in the outsider, to pull in, to love, uh, to care, to nurse, it will have meaning in eternity. And so, here, here's what I would just, just warn you of. You can climb whatever ladder it is that you have in front of you. Whatever worldly ladder it is. And you, you can wine and dine however you want to get there. And you can totally miss the mark. You can get there. You can scratch and claw. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can fight your way there. And it will not matter. It will not get you what you want. You will not be satisfied. You will be left empty. What you think you are getting, you are not getting. It is a lie from Satan. Power won't buy it. Money won't buy it. Prestige won't buy it. Honor won't buy it. Being a celebrity will not buy it. And by the way, let's just look for a second of all those people that I just mentioned. The, the powerful, the wealthy, the, the, those that are, that are celebrities that can't go anywhere. Do, do you, does it look like their lives are turning out how they wanted it? Or does it just seem like they want more and more and more? Does it just seem like their, their level of unhappiness just goes more and more and more? And they, so it, it, you can't get there. You get there by coming to Jesus. You get there by, by living for the next life. Um, 
when we, when we say that as a Christian, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus daily. That, that's what it means. Like this, this life that I'm living today, there's going to be things that, that I deny myself of. There's going to be things that I run from that I look at and go, everybody in the world is flocking to that thing, but that is the worst thing for me. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to take the humble, lowly way. And I'm telling you, like we talked about last week, the narrow way, it's the better way. You're not living for this life, but you're living for the next. One of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things. He said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Here's my next big idea. Your excuses for coming to Jesus will cost you a seat at the banquet table in heaven. Your excuses for not coming, it should say not, there's a not missing there. Your excuses for not coming to Jesus will cost you a seat at the banquet table in heaven. So here, you have somebody who actually doesn't have a great understanding of how they're going to come into the kingdom of God. This is a swing and a miss. Blesses is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Simple enough statement, but Jesus in his correction showing him, yeah, not everybody's eating bread who you think's eating bread. Because he gives this example. A man once gave a great banquet and he invited many. They wanted an RSVP. Did y'all know at RSVP you're supposed to even tell them if you're not coming? I didn't know that for a long time into adulthood. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, but a lot of people expect the RSVP both ways. Oh yeah, I'll come, I'll come, I'll be there. When you have that banquet, I'll be there. But it gets time for the banquet. First person says, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Now, who buys a piece of property without first going and looking at it? My friend Derek. My friend Derek does that. I don't don't know why he does that, but he's done it multiple times since I've known him. But that's not normal, right? Um, You 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 don't don't buy a piece of property. What's normal is you... You go look at it. This is an excuse, right? This is seen. This is an excuse. Another said, I, I bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. Who, who goes and buys a car without looking at it? All right, I did once. I did once. But I had somebody else look at it, right? And I trusted him. He, he looked at it, right? Um, 
you know, when you buy a car, you go look at it. You go, you go check it out. And if you're smart, you open the hood, you drive it, you look under it, you, you do all sorts of stuff. Uh, might not even bad, be, a, be, be a bad idea to, to, to take it to somebody else to have them look at it. Take them to Fort Collins 4x4, have them do an ins- inspection on it. It'll, it'll, help, it'll, it'll, it'll be worth your time and money, right? Um, who does it? It's an excuse. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, who said that's true? Somebody said that's true. I mean, there's more truth in that one, right? I agree. Here's where I was going. But you know what you do? You know what I'd do? You've invited me to this thing, and now I've got, I've got my, I hate this caption, forever wedding date, right? And um, not that I don't want you to be my forever wedding date, but I, hey, by the way, Dakota, who's getting baptized, he's getting married uh, Thursday, right? Yep, and uh, I don't have a wedding date. Jennifer can't go, so I'm going by myself, going solo. Um, no, what would you do? You'd say, hey, I'm married. Can I bring my wife? Let me show her off to you. That's what you do. It's an excuse. And, and this is what Jesus is, I think he's showing, like the, these, are, these are very quickly showing that these are lame excuses. Why are they making lame excuses? Because they didn't want to go to the dinner. Practically speaking, haven't we all done that? Hasn't everybody in the room has been invited to something that they did not want to go to, so they bailed? Every one of us. But this has greater spiritual significance. Because again, he is saying to the Pharisees, he is calling them out. You think you're getting into the kingdom, but here's the call to the kingdom You accepted the first invitation, the invitation of the Old Testament, of the the patriarchs and the prophets. You accepted it. But the Messiah that they promised is coming is here. And you're declining his invitation. Remember what he said last week. I would have brought you in like a hen uh, brings in her brood of chicks. I'd have hid you under my wings, but you denied me over and over and over. You wanted nothing to do with me. And so here, they're giving their excuse. And listen, this might be somebody in the room. Today, you might be drugged here by a family member or a friend, or you just ended up here, and, and you really want nothing to do with Jesus. That may be where you are. And listen, I get it. I understand it. Following Jesus isn't an easy thing. Jesus makes great demands of those who follow him. It's saying, those those who who follow me, it, it changes the way you live your life. It changes who you live your life for. But I want to tell you something, friend. It's worth it. There's no greater decision that you will ever make than letting go of the reins of your life, letting go of control of your life and saying, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. It's the greatest thing you ever do. It's going to cost you something one way or another. One, you get this eternal reward. One, you get this relationship with Jesus. One, you get this uh, presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and this wisdom and knowledge and the love of God and the love of His people and the love of His church. And the other way, you get this crippling work of self-righteousness, of self-approval, 
of trying to earn your way. And as you put those excuses forward to God, it will ultimately, if you do not repent, if you do not turn to God, it will cost you a seat at the banquet table in heaven. We, we read in Revelation to open our, 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 our time today. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sounds of the mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Oh, the marriage lamb is Jesus and the bride is His church. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, God is inviting you to the marriage supper. He is inviting you to the most important dinner. And this is not a trap. This is a gift. This is God's mercy. This is God's grace. His unmerited favor. His love lavished on us that He sent His Son Jesus Christ to come and redeem those who would say yes. Those who would believe the gospel and be saved. And so for some of you today, I'm inviting you, stop making excuses and say, yes, Lord. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised His Son from the dead and you will be saved. But I've got one more big idea. And it's this. We must glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ across the street and across the world. You know, he, he's, he's showing here God's chosen people. The Israelites, the, these people that he's fought for and he's loved have rejected him. And they've made excuses. And so now he's saying, go out and get those who will come to me. Go get the Gentiles and bring them in. Go get those who are far from God and bring them near to God. Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring the, the, the poor and the crippled and the blind. And he goes, and there's still more room. And so he says, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. We are given the great commission to take the gospel to the nations, to the very ends of the earth, and make disciples so that God's house may be filled. God is still in the business of saving people and reconciling people unto himself. So that means that our church, this church, God's church, his bride, must be a church that proclaims Jesus Christ across the street and across the world. To the poor, to the crippled, to those who don't look like us, who don't, uh, aren't in our social circles. That there is no one, not, not in any part of any caste system, that is too lowly to hear the gospel or too mighty to hear the gospel. Oh, that everybody would be able to hear. That every nation, tribe, and tongue would be able to know that Jesus Christ loves them. And he died for them. And he was raised on the third day to reconcile them unto himself. Let's be a church that glorifies God by proclaiming Jesus Christ. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word.
Lord, may we be convicted by it. May we be convicted to live it out. May we make it our chief end to glorify you and enjoy you forever. May we love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and may we love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, give us a heart for our neighbor. Give us a heart for the poor, the lowly, the needy. Give us a heart for those who can't repay us at all. Lord, help us to be a people who are willing to go across the street, to go across the aisle, to go across to the next cubicle, to the opposing team's bleachers. Whatever it may be, let us go across the street. Let us go to the innermost parts of the city. Let us go to the campus. Oh, but Lord, that we wouldn't be scared of the highways or the hedges either. Lord, would you raise up from us church planters, church planting teams to go and plant from places around here and far from here? Would you raise up in our church missionaries that put their yes on the table and are willing to go to the very ends of the earth? To the big cities. Deep in the jungle. Deep in the bush. To where it's extremely hot. To where it's extremely cold. To where it's extremely dangerous. That our love for you and our passion to glorify you by proclaiming your name would know no end. Lord, do a great might and work in Overland Church. Do a great and mighty work in the people that are in this room today. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.